Thank you for listening to the podcast from The House, a local church in Rock Island, Illinois. For more information, check out www.thehouseqc.com. My name is uh, Pastor Chris, and it's always an honor and privilege of mine to be able to break God's Word open uh, with you. And we're starting a new series this, this month uh, that focuses on what it means to abide in Jesus. Uh, so not only are we beginning a, a great season of weather, amen, all right, it's nice outside. Uh, some of you are ready to get out the slip and slide and get it going already. But nevertheless, we're starting uh, our first week in a new series. We open the year with the subject of rest. Uh, our second month was dedicated to what it means to truly live at the table. So uh, if you've missed some of those sermons, please go back. They're all online. Go back and, uh, and check those out. But this month we're preaching about what it means to abide in Jesus. Uh, to get us into the mindset of the context of what we'll be talking about in John chapter 15, uh, we're going to kind of go back and remember this uh, movement that happened in the, in the early 90s. There was, do you, any of you remember the supersized fast food movement? It actually happened back in like 1992, like that date, some of us, because we remember when that was a, a new idea. Uh, but it happened in 1992, and you guys remember McDonald's, their slogan of their bigger than normal was called, everybody, supersize. So you got an option to supersize uh, your offer. Now, if let's do a quick quiz. Anybody familiar with Whataburger? Whataburger? What was theirs, what was theirs called? Anybody remember? Right, so McDonald's started the supersize, then you found all these other ones like, yeah, we got to do that too. So they made like clever, well, Whataburger had a what a size it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Sonic offered to Sonic size it. Uh, Wendy's offered to, anybody remember Wendy's? We have a Wendy's here, come on. Biggie size it. But in a nutshell, what they're all attempting to offer us was something more than regular, and obviously uh, now that's discontinued, it's more frowned upon, so they did away with that. But back then it was like, hey, we have something that can uh, satisfy your craving more than normal or more than average. Uh, if you don't want to just be basic, we can supersize, we can make this bigger than normal for you. And uh, in John 15, where we're, where we're going, this is where Jesus is called the final disclosure. In John 14 through, I believe, 17, uh, if you ever wondered, like, what would the conversation Jesus would have with his disciples, what would they kind of talk about uh, in the table, at the table? They spent chapters in John 14 through 17, and Jesus was just chopping it up with the disciples, well, discussing with the disciples, like, the matters of the heart and the things and the disciples probably were like, what is this guy talking about? He's like schooling us for a long time at the table. And one of the things that comes up is this very topic of abiding in him. And again, Jesus was offering them uh, this, this idea of if they wanted this bigger than normal faith, this bigger than average, this supersized uh, way of living for him, and as they were probably like, what is he talking about? Jesus knew that there would be some of us and even some of them that would, would be tempted to have this basic faith. And Jesus knew that he was going to die on a cross, and he wanted to charge them 
uh, with having something bigger than just this average faith, this average belief in him. So it's my prayer that we are a church that we want more, right, that we want a supersize. I know that the, the, the restaurants and stuff did away with it because of health reasons, but I think that we should keep that in our language because of our spiritual health reasons because we want uh, more than an average normal uh, faith. Amen? I hope we do. Some of you are like, I'm okay with being having average faith. But it's our prayer that we want more uh, than, just, than just average. And that starts with learning how to abide in him. In John 15, Jesus tells the disciples and he tells us, again, how we can have a supersized experience with him, how to move beyond this regular order. Because this is important because the truth is uh, there's this supernatural thing that happens, right? Uh, you can't really explain it scientifically and whatnot, but when you give your life to Christ and you give your heart and you trust and believe in him, there's a supernatural uh, thing that happens where Christ forgives us and we're made new and the spirit resides within us. And there's some of us that think, well, that's just it. Well, I'm good now. And Jesus is saying there's more to it than that. It's more than just uh, coming to church on Sunday or feeling good about doing things that seem Christian now. But he said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the uh, Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church saying that we are made new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But even then we can remain uh, new but remain on this basic level. Now in the room this size, I can imagine that we're all uh, probably at different levels in our faith. There's some of us that are what we refer to as old saints. That's not a bad thing. That's good, right? There's some of them that may be newer to your faith. There's some that may kind of be in this dry spell or this dry season, but no matter what place you're at, uh, disciplining ourselves, disciplining yourself in abiding in Jesus will help you get rid of habits that keep you from living this basic, regular, mundane, barely surviving type faith uh, and, and hopefully help you to achieve an active, reciprocal, fruitful, vibrant relationship with Jesus. So we're in the book of John, and uh, that's you can go there now. It's towards the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we're going to park right around John 15, verse 1 through 8. So could you please uh, stand with me during the reading of today's scripture? John 15, 1 through 8. And Jesus again in his final discourse, he is saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray.
God, uh, please use me this morning to speak your truth, uh, your truth concerning what your scriptures tell us about abiding in you, Lord. And may we lean on a deeper understanding, Lord, so that we may implement ways in our lives to abide in you. And lastly, may we be encouraged and even made free this morning so we can experience you in a way that's unique as the day that you've given to us. Thank you, God. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to quickly just unpack a couple things in looking at what is this whole vine abiding and fruit thing about. Because it's easy to get lost in uh, Jesus uh, uh, this, this extended metaphor, if you will. Uh, as a poet, I love this scripture. I'm thankful that I got to do it because I'm a poet, and Jesus is very poetic in this scripture. Right? He's using this, this poetic technique in the spoken word world. We'll call it extended parallel. Uh, it's an extended metaphor, but he's not truly just describing us. You know, Sometimes when we do kids' ministry and we talk about fruits of the Spirit, we'll have all these fruit characters, and, right, and our, the kids might be like, so I'm supposed to be an apple or a pear or what, right? That's not what Jesus is really talking about. He's not trying to make us into these fruit characters, the fruit of the loom characters, you know what I mean? That's what we might picture sometimes. I remember being in, in Sunday school and thinking, like, that's what God wants us to be? That's weird. <laughs> but he's saying something that is a, a, a scriptural truth, these biblical attributes about that, and we'll get to this. So we're going to unpack what this vine talk is about, what is this extended metaphor about fruit, and what does it truly mean to abide, and then I'll, I hope to give some practical ways that we can engage in this scripture. So first of all, let's get to this metaphor. So again, Jesus is using, uh, taking advantage of the poetic license by using this extended metaphor, and uh, in a performance uh, uh, poetry community, again, we call that an extended parallel when we use something common to relate to our main thought or subject. For example, it's kind of deep, bear with me. Uh, I could, uh, on a paper, I'll draw a line down the middle of a page, and on top of one side, I might write down, if I'm writing a poem, if I'm writing a poem, I might write down gang violence or something, because that's a happy topic, right? But I might write down, uh, if I'm imagining, oh, I'm going to talk about gang violence in a poem, but I just don't want to do it in a regular way, gang violence, and then over here, I might put uh, medieval times, right? So you got these two different areas of language kind of combining, and I might come up with something, uh, depending on the message that I'm trying to communicate, I'll bring those two worlds together, and I might say something like, what young men, what young men wouldn't want to be a king of their castle? You see the wordplay? Most street creeds and oaths create moats that most can't cross, and boys grow up horsing around with those that could grow older and use bullets to joust them off like saddle. That's kind of deep, but you got medieval language, you got gang life, but you're getting the message across, all right? So Jesus was not in a poetry slam in this situation, but what he was slamming down was this extended metaphor because he knew that the people around him were familiar with vineyards and things of that nature. He knew that it was something common. So for us, we're like, why is he talking about vines and stuff? Just can you be a little bit more creative? Like, well, back then, people knew that. We got to remember in the book of John and and Jesus' first miracle was turning water into, hello, vineyards. (laughs) All right. So the people knew uh, by the geography of the land, they saw vineyards, they knew at harvest time, so they knew about this language. It was quite common. It was common enough where uh, with the students that I worked with, if I did that kind of poem, they'd be able to connect the gang language and the medieval stuff, and they'd be able to 
it, it hit in a different way and it kind of tweaked their ears sonically. They tune in and be like, all right, you got me, you got me. What, what are you saying? So Jesus is dropping these, these poetry lines on them about something that they know. Now, the metaphor wouldn't have been uh, too bizarre or strange in itself, again, because people were knowledgeable about vines, wine, grapes. Uh, but what they would have found very interesting or bizarre was that Jesus was referring to himself as the true vine. Because if we flip back into the Old Testament, God often used Israel uh, as the metaphor of a vine, right? Because we have to remember that before Jesus in the Old Testament, God would use prophets and God would use people uh, to proclaim his message and try to set Israel straight. But what would happen to the vine back then, it would always go bad. And they would send another prophet and the people would be okay for a little bit and then there would be judgment and there would be these things. Now, Jesus is finally saying like, yeah, I know y'all thought y'all was the vine of chosen people, but I'm, I'm the true vine. I'm the man, actually, right? Now, he wasn't saying this in a boastful way, but he was referring to himself as a true vine, and the disciples would have been like, word, that's new, right? We've got to remember the disciples were with Jesus for years, uh, uh, three years at this time doing ministry, so they've seen a lot. And this is, again, one of the last conversations that Jesus is having at the table, so it was important that Jesus, here at the table, flips the script and refers to himself as a true vine. It's as if Jesus was saying, I'm being something that y'all couldn't. I'm about to do something that y'all can't. I've got this. Jesus is entering into this, this banner of all these centuries of the people of Israel getting it, getting it wrong. And he's saying, I got this. I am the true vine. He's kind of rescuing this narrative, this failed narrative, saying that I'm the solution. I am the solution. This falling short. Uh, the same as for us, right? Trying to get things right, trying to always do them. Jesus is saying, I'm the solution. So y'all got it? I am the vine. And, and God is the gardener. But I am the vine. And that makes us the branches. He referred to the disciples as the branches. So in this metaphor, he's going to say, like, God is the gardener. I'm the vine. Y'all are the branches. And you have to stay connected to me. Now, Jesus knew that his time was coming to, to be crucified. The disciples kind of like, this is kind of deep for a dinner time, bro. <laughs> but he's preparing them in his final disclosure because he's saying that how important after that night. Will y'all stay connected with me? Are you going to stay connected? Because it's going to get kind of grimy out here in a little bit. Now, he starts off by saying in verse 1, I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the true vine. I am genuine one. I am the real deal. God the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus the true vine. We are the branches. Um, and and this, this leads Jesus to talking to his disciples about the importance of abiding and what happens when they do and what happens if they don't. So Christ, and we have to remember, this is a supernatural thing. This is a spiritual thing. Jesus Christ in spirit will indwell the believer. So this metaphor in chapter 5 affirms again and again that Jesus is talking about something that is spiritual, uh, spiritual results, not just the results that, that, that we hope to get, like 
when you do exercise and stuff, there's, there's results that you get from the work that you put in. And Jesus is talking about this is the work that you'll get when you stay connected with me. This is what's going to happen if you stay connected with me. These spiritual experiences that will lead to something called a fruit. And he's referring to this fruit that will happen that will be a product of staying connected. And this is found in Galatians 5.22 when uh, the writer of Galatians is talking about the fruits of the Spirit, these, these attributes that we can attain. And we'll get to more of that in a little bit. But Jesus says that we are to remain in him so we can bear more fruit, to bear much fruit. He even goes on later on in verse 16, we are to have remaining fruit. So what is that? Galatians 5.22, I'm going to read it real quick. And think about this and think about even yourself, you know, personally. Sometimes this is one of those scriptures that you can read and insert yourself and you can kind of uh, uh, rank yourself on where you're at with some of these attributes. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is apples, oranges. No, I'm just kidding. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, when you go and look at all those different attributes and we put ourselves in that scenario and we can gauge, like, where am I at with love these days? How am I loving God and loving neighbors? How am I loving myself? I think we all would probably want to grow in those. I hope there's somebody that's like, I don't want to be more loving, Chris. Next. (laughs) What about patience? What about peace? And the thing that I think of a lot when I think about this, this scripture is that if you look at these attributes, we all want those. We all want somebody to impose those on us. We all want somebody to be more loving to us. We all want somebody to be have more self-control with us and be gentle. Uh, we want somebody to be faithful, right? You're sitting next to somebody that you want to be faithful. Somebody to be good, somebody to have peace. You want to be with people that have joy. And that's the funny thing. We all want those from others. And Jesus is saying that I want you to work on those. I want to empower you in those areas. And some people, uh, you know, doing youth ministry for a long time, there would be people that would say, well, how do you gauge uh, making somebody a leader? There's this leader word that always floats around youth, youth ministry. How do, you, how do you measure leadership and get youth leaders and how do you know when and blah, blah, blah. And for a while, we used to have these matrix and they do this and they serve this many hours and everything. And I was like, hold up. Are they growing in the fruits of the spirit? That should be the basic like guideline. We can gauge that. I can watch them working with students at the youth center. I can see if they're being more loving. I can see if they have, have more self-control. I can see uh, their level of joy. And we can engage in conversations about that and keep it. There's something we just got to keep it biblical. We just got keep to it, keep it on this level, right? So students that uh, would, 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 would show these attributes would be able to uh, understand these scriptures and we would be able to talk and engage about, man, are you staying connected to the vine? more than the things and the activities that they're doing. Like, Chris, I'm cleaning the youth center. I'm doing all these things. I'm like, if we're not talking about this, that's what matters most. 
So those are fruits, right? Those are the fruits. And the goal, again, is to bear fruit. Now, what does this abide? The Greek word for abide is meno, and it really means, I love it, it means to stay, to hang out, to chill, to remain in. Uh, some people, you know, when you think about Netflix and chill, you're really talking about, like, really spending some quality time uh, together, among other things. But Netflix and chill is one of those things where it's like, it's not, it, 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 you're spending time, Right? And Jesus is saying, is Jesus in chill? Like, when you abide in Jesus, you're spending time with Jesus. Like, you're really spending time with Jesus. It's not a drive-through Jesus. It's not just, hey, I'm going to come through Sunday real quick. Peace. I, I'm good. I got this Bible app. It's going to pop up on my phone real quick. Hey, shh, shh. Here's the verse. Boom, I'm good. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. But that is not abiding in him. And I don't think that we would like if someone treated us in a relationship that way as well. And Jesus is saying there's more. There's more. So, <clears throat> excuse me. In verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's a reciprocal thing as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So now we kind of know the framework of this passage. We know what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about vine. We know what he's talking about when he's talking about fruit. Hopefully you understand a little bit more about what it talks about what, uh, when he says abide. I want to give three uh, different things that we can expect when we abide in Jesus. And the first one is this. Uh, in verse 2 and 3, we, say that we see that abiding in Jesus involves pruning. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So grapevines, I don't know a lot about gardening and things like that, but what I do know, uh, grapevines grow more abundantly when they are pruned. So Jesus... Right? He could be referring to the pruning of dead branches, which also would require removing what is undesirable. The pruning could refer to the hardship that uh, produces faithfulness or a close relationship with God, and the disciples were just about to experience that. Uh, further, when we look in the book of Romans, uh, we have things like this, which when I was early in the Christian faith, these things kind of bothered me because we often have it twisted where we think that hey, if we're living good, then good things will just happen. We're living for Christ. Well, we shouldn't need pruning. So the scripture is kind of messes with you a little bit because it says that uh, when you're not bearing fruit, the branches will be taken away. When you are bearing fruit, there's this pruning. So you almost would think, like, isn't that backwards? Shouldn't it be like, if I'm not bearing fruit, and then you got to, like, prune me? But Jesus is saying, no, if you're not bearing fruit, you're really not good for anything but the burn pile, okay? And back then, uh, there were burnt offerings that you would bring in those times were because when they pruned things and the dead branches that they would take away, they actually would put them in a fire. They would use that because they knew that they were actually not good for anything. So Jesus was making this stark contrast where people would have been like, yo, that's, that's kind of hitting some people at the room, in the room, Judas. <laughs> There's some people at the table that's like, yo, that's, that kind of hurts a little bit. But at the same time, Jesus was saying, 
that it's not a bad thing to be pruned, or it's not, it, it, it's not always going to mean that just because you're following me, there's not anything bad that might come your way. Because Jesus knows that with hardships, just like we see in Romans 3, 5, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings. When I was a young Christian, I'm like, that's weird. Why would we rejoice in that? I don't know anybody that's like, yes, I'm suffering today. Yo, it's great. <laughs> that's just not normal. It goes on and says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endur endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James 1, 2, and 4 says, count it all joy. Listen, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I used to read those and be like, what? I have to be happy about going through trials. But Jesus knows that when we're pressed beyond what we can take, that our faith in him, our connection to the vine, when it's stronger on the other side, we're going to be stronger branches. We're going to bear fruit because of it. It's not this easy thing. So again, pruning means that we're going to go through some things. We are going to go through some things. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are there things in our life that Christ needs to prune? Are there things in our life that we need to allow Christ to cut away because it's keeping you from growing, it's keeping you from thriving, it's keeping you from a flourishing relationship with God and others. It doesn't always mean like personal sins. It might mean some doubts. It might mean some troubles are coming your way and you actually think that God is punishing you where he's really just saying, hey, on the other side, you're going to experience this fruit and this new hope and you're going to be the stronger branch if you remain. And I see a lot of people, they kind of say, ouch, because the pruning hurts, and then they're out of here. They're out of church. Or, you know, the best example I, I, can, I can say about that is when we have our summer camps sessions. We, we see students at our camp sessions. They spend a week, and they're loved on. And, and uh, we have a couple kids that have been to our camp before, and they have great experiences, and they cry when they're going to leave and all that cool thing about our camp is that we have uh, youth centers at Youth Hope where it's not just, hey, we see you at camp, then we don't see you anymore. They have opportunities to come to our youth center throughout the year. The thing that always breaks my heart, they have this crazy cool experience at camp, a lot of God moments, and they come back to the youth centers and we see them, and sometimes the joy is just gone and all that, and that reality hits of the regular life that they live. The, it might be bullying or it might be a home situation. It might be whatever the case. And they show up and they're just like, yeah, I just can't wait, go to, I can't wait to go to camp again. And I'm like, what's going on now and all that? Yeah, man, I'm kind of done. It's easy at camp to live that way. Like they would say that. It's easy at camp because everybody's, you know, talking about kind of giving up on that. I might not come back to the youth center. I'll just come to camp or whatever. And then they kind of disappear, and all right, you hear about some things later. Now what happens is this false reality of, hey, I gave my life to Christ and stuff, and this pruning stuff, well, what's all that about? It's not supposed to be hard anymore, Chris. Like, things are supposed to be good now. You said things are, you know, I give my life to Christ, and everything's going to be good. And it, we don't say that, 
But we have this false reality that when we enter into this covenant, this relationship with, with Christ, that everything's just going to be great now. And then reality is that there's a constant pruning that's going to continue to happen to us where Christ is promising if we abide in him, then we always will come out on the other side with more fruit, right? But what is that for us? Is there a trial that's, that's hanging you up right now that's keeping you from abiding in him? Is there something, is there some, some anxiety uh, or, or depression or some things that where you need to be closer to God and you need to be abiding? And sometimes we try to do everything on our own strength to try to make things right. So when we think about dishes and all that kind of stuff, right, one cool analogy I was thinking about is whatever your, your method methodology of washing those dis- dishes, I heard some people say, man, I just, I got to just throw it and soak it in some water for a while. Throw some, right? Anybody know what I'm saying? There's something you look at it and you're just like, man, I'm not messing with this right now. We're putting this right in there. We'll deal with it in the morning or we'll sit in there for a week. <laughs> All right? There's something about soaking in God's presence that allows all of that stuff to eventually fall off, but it takes time. When you take that nasty thing out after a day or two, it's still gross, but you're thankful because there's things that's loosened up and it's easier to clean. And Jesus is saying, if you would abide in me, rest in me, soak in me, there's still some, some grimy stuff. But look, we can deal with this. This is manageable. And we don't take it and now it's all sparkly clean. It's not like we don't use it ever again and we hang it up like a poster. It's going to go through the same process again, right? There's going to be some other stuff again. And Jesus is saying, abide in me. That we don't have to clean up ourselves before we come to him. He's asking us to come so he can clean us. The second thing is abiding in Jesus produces fruit. We talked about this a little bit, but I just want to quickly say, you know, sometimes, again, we get it twisted because we think abiding in Jesus uh, doesn't mean we just do, uh, we think abiding in Jesus means we do Christian stuff. But God is saying that we abide in him so we can be fruitful. I got this, uh, this is cool, I don't know if the Campbells are watching, but thank you for this. Uh, this I, I started to drink tea a lot in this last year. Um, I, I like tea now, so I'm kind of a newbie at this whole thing. So the Campbells had got this from my wife and I, and it's really cool. I, I really like it a lot. And, uh, you know, you put the tea bag in there, and you just close it up, and it does its thing. And I think when I think of ourselves spiritually, when I think about the fruits of the Spirit and whatnot, uh, there's some people that have a different method where they just kind of dip it in and they try to hurry the process a little bit, squeeze it out, and wrap it up with a spoon and all that kind of stuff, right? But the best thing that you could do is just to do what? To let it, let it sit. And it seems like uh, it's a great metaphor of we are all kind of similar to tea bags because we see what's in us right? What's in us comes out when the pressure is on and when the heat is on. We see 
our real flavor when that pressure and that heat is on. We get to see kind of what's in the package. We get to see what's really in there. And when I was thinking about abiding in him and the spiritual fruits, it's really how are we closing ourselves in, giving us ourselves some, some dedicated space and time just to spend with God to produce these godly fruits? What does that look like? And I want to leave us with some practical ways that we can do that because the last thing is we know that Jesus wants to give us spiritual fruit through abiding in him. We know that it involves pruning, but lastly, abiding in Jesus means that we are putting ourselves in a place of his presence. We're placing ourselves in God's presence. And I like to say that we're, we're, we're purposely positioning ourselves into God's presence on purpose. Uh, we know that Peter in the Bible was, <laughs> when I talk about him with the students, he was kind of a ride or die. He was, he was somebody that was really about that life with Jesus uh, at the table. He would say, he would say things like, Jesus, you know, man, I'm all for you, bro. You already know. And Jesus at the table, he's probably like in his head like this guy, man. He doesn't even know he's going to betray me. That's really cute, though. You know, Peter's like, you know, I love you, bro. I'm right there. And Jesus is like, that's, that's good. Uh, you're going to betray me. I would never do that. I'm never going to betray you, Lord. Matter of fact, we know that later on, you know, we have this discourse, and uh, after this, shortly after this, Jesus takes the disciples, and they go pray, and Judas, he had led the people to the place, and the people come to get Jesus, and Jesus says, do what you said you was going to do, go, go ahead with it, and then we have Peter that brought out the, cut the ear off, like he was really about that life, and Jesus looked at him and was like, no, bro, don't do that. He put the ear back on. Right. And, and then all the disciples, they freak out and they leave. Right. And, and, and Peter kind of abandons the scene and he stays close. He stays close enough when Jesus is uh, being brought to the authorities and whatnot. There's somebody in the crowd that notices Peter. And earlier Jesus told him, like, bro, you're going to betray me when the alarm clock goes off, which was what was it? Right? The cock-a-doodle-doo? Somebody said that? <laughs> right? Right? When the rooster crows, he said, you're going to we're going to betray me. Jesus was like, bro, you're going to betray me, man. It's, it's in less than 24 hours, basically. I would never do that. It gets to the point where Peter was in the crowd and somebody notices him and he's trying to be like, hey, ain't you Jesus, homie? No, you don't know me. Hold on, aren't you? No, you don't. And the scriptures say that Peter cusses them out. Read that, Sally. Now, the cuss words aren't in the Bible, but it says that he cursed Adam. So he was pretty upset. And after that, the, the, the rooster crowed. And it says that Jesus looked right at him. Right? Now, the awesome thing about this is after Jesus resurrected and the disciples see them again in John 21, the last 
chapter of the book of John, there's uh, Jesus reinstates Peter. And Peter puts himself in a position, he positions himself to go towards Jesus. And they embrace and he reinstates him and he, and he says, yo, hey, I told you you was going to do it. It's all good. I love you. Like, you're going to be a pillar of the church. You're awesome and blah, blah, blah. Great moment. Great moment. But for us, a lot of times when we do those things, we position ourselves away from Jesus. We don't want to abide anymore. We want to, uh, we, we take all of the, the shame and the guilt and whatever it is, the doubts and everything, and we stop going to church or we stop getting into the word or we stop spending time with God or we stop being around godly people. We stop going to community tables. We, we dodge the pastor or we dodge the people that's trying to help us. And we're just like, I'm good. And we don't position ourselves towards the godly thing or abiding in the things that will help us to be fruitful because we're ashamed and Jesus is saying, abide in me. There's these things called the spiritual pathways uh, and they're a part of this, uh, you know, there's, there's these spiritual tests, there's Enneagram stuff, there's all these kind of different things, right? But if you're the spiritual pathways, and I'll leave you with these, these are practical ways that you can, you can develop a way practically where you can spend time with Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of these, but for me, I heard of these years ago, and it really helped me because there's sometimes when we think about praying and we think there's only one way that you could do that. You've got to lock yourself in a room for 50 hours or whatever, and then we're, we're good. When I've learned that connecting with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, um, there's things in our personalities, the way that God has wired us that allow us where we can creatively do some things that aren't just one way. Uh, I grew up where as a, the youth pastor that I had, he loved the Bible. He would read the Bible all the time. He would lock himself in the room and he would study and study. And I, would, I felt so bad that I wasn't like him. And I was like, I'm never going to be like you, bro. God, I read the Bible and sometimes I just go to sleep. I'm not even tired sometimes when I go to sleep. <laughs> Something's wrong with me, bro. And he used to be like, man, you just got to keep. And I fell into this thing where I learned, I went to this conference, I learned about these what they call these spiritual pathways or different ways that these uh, Christian uh, psychologists have studied that uh, we can connect with God. And I want to share seven of these with you and I'll close in prayer. But there's something called the relational pathway. And what you can do is you can, you can write these down or whatever. You can think of these. Uh, and you might be able to say, like, oh, I kind of relate with that. But this really helped me in a way where I didn't have to feel bad about the way that I lock myself and Jesus together, the way that I spend time with God, because I realized there was more than one way uh, just to uh, connect with God. The relational pathway is when maybe you feel God's presence when you're praying with a group of people or you're studying the Bible in a group. You're at community tables. You're around other believers, and you, you feel a spiritual dullness when you kind of try to walk with God alone. I was kind of like that. Nobody ever told me that. I always felt bad. I was like, man, I like being around people and we're chopping it up about the scriptures and we're praying together and it's kind of like a party. Like, we're, yeah, I like that. And there was something in my mind was, but you're not spending time alone. <laughs> it doesn't count or something like that. But if that's you, you need to lean into that more. There's something called the intellectual pathway. This is like my youth pastor that I grew up with. He uh, must felt like he should fully engage his mind to make spiritual progress. 
his heart kind of followed his mind. So he was reading, he was thinking, he was constantly doing research, he was constantly doing the Greek and the Hebrew, and he was constantly doing that. And for him, he loved that. And for me, not so much. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't like that, but it wasn't like my main pathway where I could connect with God. The third thing is a serving pathway. There's some of you that feel the closest to God when you're doing something for him, when you're serving. Join the framework team if that's you for sure. But you're motivated when you're trying to accomplish something for God. You're putting some projects together. You're helping or you're opening doors or you're serving on a team or you're doing something in the neighborhood. You're doing something in your workplace. You're organizing some things together. If you don't think that that doesn't count, then you're wrong. It does. That's a way where you can abide in, in God and connect with God and partner with him in a way. The fourth thing is a contemplative pathway. That means you can just spend hours reflecting on the goodness of God. Quiet. You can just be by yourself, staring out a window. Don't laugh at those people. There's people like that. It's like if I get to get some quiet. Anybody like that in here? Is anybody? All right, there you go. She's pointing to them. Right? Quiet. Shh. Let me spend some time with the Lord. Right? Uh, the fifth one is the activist pathway. You come alive in highly challenging environments. You kind of like to argue some stuff. Like it actually helps your brain. And, and my wife, she would kind of fall in this one sometimes because she likes to kind of go against the grain and ask these questions and you kind of got to do this a little bit uh, and, and challenge some things and all that because it helps her to process the things of God in a way. It helps you feel closest to God when you're kind of right on the edge of, of crying out to him. Uh, the last two, the creation pathway, and this is pretty easy. You relate to God mostly when you're surrounded by nature. You get an increased awareness of God in a natural environment. So you could be out in the woods. You can be camping. You could be like, oh, look at the bird, and people are just like, what's wrong with you? And you're just like, man, there's scriptures about that. This is so great. This is awesome. I'm going for a walk. I'm going in the woods. There's somebody that I know in the community that uh, goes uh, down to the river in the mornings, and they walk and they kind of pray, and they feel connected to God. And lastly is this, this creative, this worship pathway, and you feel God's presence when you're praising him and being in the presence of others praising him. You get this overwhelming sense of being fully connected to God through uh, worship and arts this art way. And I connect in that one as well. I could be watching a movie, and the movie is not about anything that has to do with scriptures or whatever, but because of the scene and the dialogue, it might remind me of something in scripture. And, and there, was this, uh, uh, there was this chick flick that I watched years ago, and at the end of it, there was this woman in the film. She was being a jerk to the guy for the whole thing, and because she had a, a better status than him or whatever, and then in the end, they ended up falling in love. But the thing that she said at the end, it still sticks with me today because she, she went to him uh, in, the, in the office and everybody was watching. They were like, yo, you really like him? And she looked right at him and she was like, I am so nervous to make this first this step and I'm so sorry. And she was almost like repenting. And she was like, I'm so sorry how I treated you. I feel so bad. And then the guy was just like, so what you want to do? You know? And she was like, like, I want to be with you. I'm so nervous. And he just, he, he wiped his t her tears. And he was like, I got you. I love you. It's okay. And I started crying, not because they fell in love, but I was like, that's like what God did with me. 
And I was watching this. Somebody was like, you crying because of this? No, I'm not crying because of that. I'm crying because of it. And they was like, bro, you're crying because of this. I'm like, no, it's, it's deeper than this movie. And I remember I left saying, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm crying. It's not, the movie was not that good. But <laughs> that scene triggered, right, this art, this, this scene triggered me, uh, uh, a reminder of me what it was like when I first came to Christ. And I said, man, God, I'm scared to make this step. And I felt like God was like, it's, it's okay, I got you. It's okay, I got you. So those are the pathways that can help you. And uh, man, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Stay connected to the vine. Now there, there's going to be a time here where uh, you'll be able to come to the table all right, and do communion. And during this time, you'll be able to think deeply of these things. And you'll be able to remember that uh, even at the table, uh, where this conversation about abiding in Jesus happened, that Jesus reminded them uh, and started this tradition of communion, where he said, take this, this bread that represents the broken body and take this, this wine that represents the blood that was shed on the cross and do this in remembrance of me. So I pray, God, I pray that uh, as we are ushered into worship and they invite us up, that we remember that it's about abiding in him, remembering the grace and the love and the mercy that he bestowed upon us for the sake of us to bear fruit and to abide in him. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for today. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, uh, sometimes it's really difficult just to abide in you, and I pray that we, we understand, God, that uh, you will prune us, and that's okay. God, I pray that uh, we understand, Lord, that it's not about us just doing a whole bunch of Christian things, but it's about us producing uh, this fruit, uh, not just so we can show off, but, Lord, so we can love you and love others in a deeper way. And lastly, I pray, God, that we can remember to position ourselves in your presence, meaning in prayer and these spiritual pathways that allow us more connection with you, Lord, as the branches help us to connect with the true vine even more. So whatever those things are, Lord, I pray that you will help us. And as we uh, take communion this morning, uh, help us just re be reminded of these ways that we can connect with you in a deeper way and abiding in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were impacted by this message and would like to contribute to the ministries of the house or local church, please go to www.thehouseqc.com and click on Give.